Today's sermon reading is from Mark Gospel. We'll continue to read chapter 9 uh, from verse 30. They left their place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the, um, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to, be, wants to be first must be the very last, and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. Teacher, said John, he's... We saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop, because he was, not, he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. If anyone causes one of these, these little ones, those who believed in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if you, your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is, is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. And it'd be great to keep your Bible open. We won't look at every verse, but uh, I'll put uh, most of the key verses up uh, on the screen behind me as we go. But let me pray uh, as we get into this passage. Dear Lord, we thank you that your word contains everything we need for life and salvation. I pray that I might speak faithfully to it now, that we might grow in our knowledge and love of you. Amen. When you're part of a team, it's easy to be critical of leaders. 
you know, they're all Muppets, right? And, you know, if they only listened to me, then things would be so much better. Uh, And then, of course, one day you get promoted, And all of a sudden, you're the one sitting in the seat. And as as much as we hate to admit it, we kind of like the opportunity. We we like not just the opportunity to do something different, uh, but we like the the significance and the respect that comes with the role. But it doesn't take long to realise that that kind of confidence and bravado is often embarrassingly misplaced. And it's only once you're in the position that you start to appreciate the wisdom of the saying, you don't know what you don't know. And certainly that was part of the journey for the disciples in this passage today. At our worst, uh, we try to bluff our way through. Uh, At our best, we recognise the wisdom of humility and listening. For those who like to know where we're going today, uh, our sermon has three points uh, and it comes with a bonus three sub-points. But the the titles are The Intentionality of the Cross, A Servant to All, a few sub-points and then finally Refined by Fire. So there's a bit of direction. But let's uh, start, verse 31, uh, where it says, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. Now, this is the second time that Jesus has described this inconceivable future to his disciples. And Jesus isn't simply predicting his death. His death is written into God's plan. God the Father has delivered his Son into the hands of men. It's intentional, it's inevitable... And for the sake of humanity, it's absolutely necessary. The short version of our future is we will all rise, uh, some to everlasting life, some to everlasting condemnation. And the decider between those two outcomes is how we respond to Jesus and his death and resurrection and rising again three days later. So Jesus is going to the cross and that is our only hope for the future. But it also gives us a glimpse into his character and what it means to be a leader and what it means to be great. And it's a very counterintuitive example. Most of the time when we think about leadership and greatness, it comes with power and it comes with prestige and we don't see any of that here. You know, at this point, the disciples are hearing and they're understanding a bit. Uh, you know, they don't get the dying and rising stuff, uh, but there are a few key words they get, like Messiah and Son of God. And all of a sudden, these nobody disciples are starting to recognise that actually they're part of an inner circle of something big. Uh, not because of anything, you know, they've done, but simply, you know, sort of fame by association. But at some point, they look around this circle and they decide, actually, they would prefer it to be more of a triangle. You know, so think organisational chart triangle. Okay, we've got, you know, Jesus at the top. You know, that's obvious. They're not completely daft. Uh, But after that, well, then how do you choose? You know, do you go with the, the charismatic, strong leader type? Do you go with wisdom? Uh, or education or experience. 
Now, this is the type of conversation that the disciples are having as they walk along the road. And when they arrive at their destination, Jesus asks them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they'd argued about who was the greatest. And some things never change. No one likes to get caught talking themselves up. And you get a sort of a sense of the embarrassment of the moment. Uh, But Jesus uses this moment to teach them something about leadership and humility. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And this is really the verse that sort of shapes everything that comes next. As Mark lays out these three scenarios of what it means to be a servant of all. And he starts with the children. Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Later in Mark, Jesus will use the example of children to describe the sort of faith that we need to have if we're going to be part of the kingdom of God. Uh, But here, the focus is on the value of children. You know, children weren't, you know, considered particularly highly in ancient cultures. Uh, And he's talking here literally about children, but you could apply this conversation about anyone who we sort of perceive to be least in society. You know, these days we like to think uh, that we value all people equally, uh, including children. Uh, We certainly recognise our children as precious and vulnerable. Uh, We want to protect them, we want to nurture them. Uh, We are often uh, willing to indulge them uh, because we want them to be happy. But in terms of how children impact our own sense of value... I think we often, on a society level, treat children as less. Uh, I'm not totally sure why. Perhaps it's because we live in a contribution-oriented sort of culture uh, and children contribute less. But as sort of proof of point, you know, if if pay is an indicator of value, we pay our bankers and our lawyers a whole lot more than we pay our childcare workers and our teachers. Uh, Being a primary teacher doesn't come with the same social kudos and credibility as the university lecturer. And perhaps a little more controversially, on a society level, we commend going back to work far more than we commend full-time parenting. So a lot has changed over the last two millennia, but clearly not everything. And so just to sort of reflect on our church for a moment, I hope our children are seen and valued. I hope they see church as their church. Uh, They're not the church of the future. Well, they are the church of the future because that's the way it all goes. But they're also the church of the present. Uh, This is as much their church as our church. Uh, We still need to guide them and protect them. But in terms of value, they are as valued as anyone else. And I hope that reflects in the way we do ministry together and the way we do our ministry to children. And how we welcome children is a statement of how we welcome Jesus and how we welcome the Father. But of course, this passage could just as easily be applied to anyone who we feel is perhaps, you know, less in society, the less socially able or the less intelligent, less educated or less successful. 
And the challenge, I think, for anyone is to look past those markers, those superficial markers of value, and to see people for who they really are. You're made in the image of God, uh, equal in humanity, equal in value, irrespective of their particular contribution or how they conform to the social expectations of our time. So being a servant of all means welcoming and valuing those who are perhaps considered least by our society. Uh, The second lesson has to do with how we respond to the success of others and this misguided arrogance that, you know, we've got it right and that everyone else has it wrong. And so he goes on to say, Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Now, for the disciples, you know, they see power and authority as a finite resource. There's only so much to go around, and so they feel kind of threatened. You know, if if someone else is more, then that makes them less. You know, they feel, well, this person isn't, you know, part of the inner circle, not part of that inner group of disciples, and so that makes him a threat. Uh, but, of course, God is working through all of these people. His, his resource isn't finite. Uh, one of my uh, more uh, or less auspicious moments in life was uh, years ago I used to run a conference uh, called Leaders in Training and uh, another great gospel-minded Christian organisation started a similar conference uh, called NextGen uh, and it was targeted at the same group of people. And, you know, I could justify why this was a bad thing. You know, if you just dilute your resources, that makes it harder for everyone. Uh, And I think there's some truth in that. But in the heart of hearts, my real issue was I felt threatened. I feel threatened by this other ministry that perhaps will do it better than I will do it. Uh, Now, as history turns out, it's not just that one thrives or the other thrives, that God in his plan has both of them thriving, uh, and, and that's wonderful. But, but you know, just show you, I suppose, how petty we can be at times. And I hope I'm not totally alone in this, that you have some resonance in that. <laughs> you know, sometimes we are sceptical of other people and, and other ministries for good reason. Um, but let's start with the desire to be inclusive. When someone says, I'm a Christian, our first reaction should be excitement not suspicion. And even the most modest expression of fellowship is worthy of acknowledgement. So back to our passage, truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. Now, giving a cup of water is the most basic common courtesy, but what makes it significant here is the motivation behind giving it in the first place. It's given in my name because you belong to the Messiah. And their reward is salvation, to share in the kingdom of God. Not because the the glass of water is significant in itself, but because of the attitude that sits behind it. It's an expression of their allegiance to Christ and their fellowship together. 
I think one of the beauties of, of ministries like Beach Mission is you get to do ministry with a whole bunch of, of different people from you know, sort of different social backgrounds, different church backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds, and you start to appreciate, you know, as you get to know different people, that you have more in common than less. You know, they express themselves differently, they use different Bible language, you know, different ways of expressing their faith, um, but actually what we have in common is a commitment to Christ. And that's a, that's a wonderful blessing. Uh, so our first desire should be to be optimistic and inclusive. But that's not always possible. Because some people will claim to follow Christ, but actually not follow Christ in any sense that the Bible teaches. They use the right words, but in all the wrong ways. Uh, that's true, and there's plenty of warnings in the Bible about you know, false teachers. But before we jump there as our starting point, let's start with being optimistic and inclusive. Our third one uh, then moves, our third pitfall for our new players is loving the authority that comes with leadership, but not so much the responsibility. If anyone causes one of these little ones those who believe in me to stumble, it'd be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. That's a pretty graphic image, isn't it? You know, these little ones uh, include children, but it's more broadly anyone who follows Jesus. And we're all in a position to cause someone to stumble. For some, it is, you know, positional leadership. You know, they might be, you might be a connect group leader or leading in our youth ministry or children's ministry. Uh, For others, it's our role in our family, uh, with our children, with our wife, with our husband. Uh, For others, it's simply that relational influence that we have amongst our friends. But whatever our context we all have a responsibility to not be a trip hazard. Uh, And that can be hard because we don't get to pick and choose the bits that people imitate and the bits that people see. You know, so as parents, uh, we scream at our children to get into the car because we're late for church, uh, which achieves the goal of getting to church, but probably not the moment you're hoping them to remember as a teaching opportunity. Uh, If you're a, a, a... Sorry, if you're a child watching a father yell at his wife, at your mum, then that models something about how we deal with conflict. Uh, But they also potentially read something about how we value women. Now, even if that's the last thing we want them to learn, that's potentially what they learn from us. Now, one of my huge regrets as a teenager was not being conscious of how my behaviour impacted my friends. And so I was very conscious about how my behaviour impacted my non-Christian friends, so I was quite conscious about, you know, being at least looking like a, a decent Christian to them. But I didn't have quite the same, you know, commitment to my Christian friends. It's a completely, you know, messed up way of thinking. But I kind of go, you know, well, they're already in, they're saved, they're safe... Everything's, you know, well there. And so, you know, my sin's just kind of harmless fun. In truth, I got everything wrong. Uh, For starters, my Christian friends weren't as safe as I thought. And those couple of years after school, you know, so many got entangled with the, the worries and the pleasures of life. And I'd really taken their faith for granted 
at their expense. I remember sitting in a Bible study one evening and one of the guys uh, literally berating me uh, for allowing one of our friends to fall away. And now it's not completely my fault, you know, he's got to be responsible before God for himself. But there was some real truth in that, uh, that I had been a stumbling block to him. So I was wrong about my influence and I was wrong about my sin. Uh, It wasn't just harmless fun. And to pick up what Jesus says halfway through, if your eyes cause you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Uh, Jesus isn't advocating self-mutilation. So there's nowhere in the Bible uh, where Jesus or anyone else uh, is actually there, you know, with with a sharp knife saying it's time. Uh, But even so, we we feel that the weightiness of the comment, don't we? Uh, That here our sin is serious, our sin matters... And our sin is a glimpse into the state of our soul. So in the words of Jesus from earlier in Mark, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. So if we're not going to be a trip hazard to others, then we need to recognise those things that potentially trip us up and to get rid of them. Uh, It might be the the really subtle things of lifestyle choices where we're so busy filling our life with pleasure that we've lost our sense of pleasure in Christ. And more and more our conversations and our values start to blend with the culture around us. It might be our ambition and our desire for success, and that influences the way we prioritise our time. And as we feel the pressure to succeed, we potentially become more willing to cut a few corners and to adjust the truth to sort of fit our desired outcomes. It might be our love of gossip or the insatiable temptation of alcohol or the pokies. It might be the temptation of what we watch, not just sort of the really obvious things like pornography, but those shows that that normalise certain values and slowly erode our own conviction about who Christ calls us to be. And all of these things are a trip hazard for us, but potentially they make us a trip hazard for others. And so as hard as it is to cut these things out of our life, Uh, That's who we need to be in Christ. And actually, as we struggle with those things, God can still use them for good. Because hard things help us grow in character. And they refine our character. As much as we don't want God's discipline, God's discipline is good. And if we are genuine followers of Christ, uh, then we will recognise and be willing to be disciplined. And that's what Jesus means in verse 49. Everyone will be salted with fire. Uh, Salted was used as a symbol of of purifying in the Old Testament, where they sacrifice an animal. Uh, Sometimes it was sacrificed as a substitute, but often it was an expression of love and devotion. And so as we deny ourselves, as we take up our cross and follow Jesus... We are presenting ourselves as a sacrifice to the Lord, uh, purified through what Jesus has done on the cross, but also purified 
day by day as the Holy Spirit does what he does, as he moulds us and shapes us and refines us to be more like Jesus. Now, at the time, it's often slow and painful, and no one is thankful at the time, I don't think, uh, but we can see that it's worth it in the end. Uh, But there's also a warning that if we are salted, then we need to make sure we stay salty. Uh, Not salty in the sense of, you know, a bit grumpy. Uh, We can do that quite well. We don't need any encouragement. Uh, But but salty in the sense of making a difference. A sense of, you know, I want to be pure in Christ and I want to make a difference to those around us. In, In this particular context, he's talking about the difference we make amongst one another that we be at peace with each other. So he's talking about the community of Christians. Uh, We're united in Christ, so we need to now make sure that we live out that unity. Uh, Sometimes that means being gracious in our assumptions, uh, not jumping to conclusions when people disappoint us. Uh, Sometimes it's the way we talk about about things when we disagree. Uh, Sometimes it means graciously challenging bad behaviour And sometimes it's the willingness to be challenged and to recognise it's not coming from a place of being self-serving but a place of generosity and godliness where this person really wants our good. Now, our passage today started with the disciples vying for who is the greatest and it ends with this challenge to be at peace with one another. And in between those two points we get this picture of true greatness in the kingdom of God. So to bring it all together, uh, how might this look for us going forward? And I want to put some options on the, on the screen. Uh, look, if you want to choose all of them, uh, go for it. Uh, but, but that could be a little overwhelming. Uh, so perhaps just choose one where you go, here's something I want to work on this week. But do we need to think about how we're treating everyone as valued and loved by God? And do we need to be more optimistic and inclusive, uh, conscious of how I impact others? Uh, Cutting, you can insert the sin, out of my life. Ready for refining. Uh, Committed to being a salty peacemaker. As you look at all of those, what's the one that the Holy Spirit is perhaps pushing you on this morning? What's one that resonates perhaps more strongly than all the others? Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Amen.